Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. We're so glad you're able to join our service. Hope you've been enjoying being part of it today. And as we begin before the sermon, I want to just have a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, as we open your words, we look at um, maybe a little different angle on discipling. I pray you'll open our minds and help us to truly be able to understand what you want us to do and be in our world is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've, I've wondered something this week. Uh, to some of you, my, my pondering may be a heretical thing, uh, but, but more I've considered the thought, the more I'm thinking truth is not far from my pondering. I wonder, I wonder if Jesus invited us to play and we have turned it into work. I mean, seriously, Jesus' invitation was clear. Follow me. And it might push some of you too far to say he was inviting those people into a divine human game of follow the leader. There's no question there would be a price to be paid to be in that line. Playing any game, you have to be ready to be mocked, maybe ridiculed, because you're playing the game. Our leader hasn't laid a route without challenges. There'll be some suffering when there's a fall, maybe a stretch beyond our span as he takes us places easier for him to go than us. The truth seems to me closer than further from this notion. Those initial disciples that, that we've evolved into serious, somber apostles and patriarchs of the church may have all started off a lot more fun themselves and having more fun than we credit them. Maybe we, and and not they, pulled apart the words faith and fun. Jesus comes from his home, his fellowship with life of intimacy from the circle of their life, partnered the great dance of the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit. He comes incarnate to our world. Now, now, please don't hear this as sacrilegious. Just, just try and see it from a new angle. He comes. It is a very serious journey for a very serious work of saving this world from sin and validating the very character of the Trinity. But at the same time, if you read between the lines, and sometimes if you read right on the lines, it's a playful story. Think about it. If we were producing a play, we might open with the sad scene of these two old people alone and lonely at the supper table. Conversation turns to the what-ifs of their lives, reflection on what they wish had been different. And as has come up so many painful moments before, they lament their childless home. And God doesn't have an angel quietly visit their home. No, it happens at the temple. Zachariah is skeptical, becomes mute until after his son's birth. And Elizabeth, probably 80 plus, does become pregnant with John the Baptist. There is some playfulness in the story. And and then there's the young Mary and the visit of the angel. It's almost like you can see the Trinity giving the angel assignment and smiling a little twinkle in their eye. Who but God would choose an early adolescent 
to mother God incarnate. There is a playfulness in Jesus' banter with Mary at the wedding in Cana. The whole place is made happier, the whole celebration enriched by the touch of Jesus on the water that becomes the best of wines. We don't have the stories of fun and play that I imagine were part of following Jesus. I I was wondering, did none of the disciples or even Jesus ever sneak ahead of the crowd down the road, hide behind a rock, and jump out screaming to scare the group? All the times that they must have waded and crisscrossed the Jordan and other creeks, we have no stories of water splashing fights or anyone throwing mud. And they likely camped out a bit. I can't even imagine a camp out without anyone playing a practical joke. We don't have any record of that, a snake in a sleeping bag, a little something in the food. But what we do have is a record of Jesus' teaching. Eugene Peterson shares how powerful a play and playful a a parable can be. Jesus' favorite speech form, the parable, was subversive. Parables sound absolutely ordinary. Casual stories about sowing seeds, meals and coins and sheep and bandits and victims, farmers and merchants, and they're wholly secular the parables. Of of the 40 or so parables recorded in the Gospels, only one has its setting in church, and only a couple of the parables mention the name God. As people heard Jesus tell these stories, they saw at once that they weren't about God, and so there, there was nothing in them threatening their own sovereignty. They relaxed and their defenses, and they, and they walked away perplexed. They, they left Jesus wondering about what that story meant. The stories lodged in their imaginations. And then, like a time bomb, they would explode and their unprotected hearts. And an abyss opened up at their very feet. He was talking about God and they had been invaded. Clarence Jordan talks about the parables as little Trojan horse stories. They, they, they look innocent and you let them come into your life and then the soldiers of truth jump out and take over. Read through the teachings of Jesus in the Gospels, and if you look, you'll see his words are filled with playfulness, irony, metaphor, and hyperbole. Jesus knew how to play as well as pray, how to laugh as well as cry, how to, how to be serious about life but not take himself too seriously. Jesus came to save us from our sins and to save us from becoming severe, unyielding, harsh, and terminally serious people. Mike Caconelli, the founder of Youth Specialties, also pastored a little church in California, and he wrote about a phenomena familiar to all pastors. When people find out what you do as a pastor, they often are uncomfortable. They're not quite sure about how much fun and play is appropriate. Well, Iaconelli had two teenage boys living next door who knew he was a minister, and they kept their distance. They seldom waved, they, or they wouldn't acknowledge him when they bumped into each other someplace. That is until one night in July. Mike and his wife were out sitting on their deck at their home about 10 o'clock in the evening. The two boys were playing basketball on their driveway with some friends. The friends had parked their truck on the lawn, opened the doors, turned up the music to full volume. Without their parents' home to contend with, the basketball game was loud and boisterous. 
boys ought to be out playing basketball on a hot summer night, Mike thought. But he decided to add a little life to the evening. He mentioned to his wife, you know, July 4 was just two weeks ago. And she's like, well, I'm glad you're remembering that. No, he said, no, I, I have some fireworks left over. And then he felt like having some fun with the boys next door. He said, let's throw a couple of firecrackers over the fence and see what happens. And she looked at him sternly. Are you serious? And he said, yes. And she said, okay, let's go. And the adventure began, his wife standing behind a tree while he walked along the fence line until he thought he was close enough. And he threw a firecracker over the wall, ran back to where his wife was and waited. Nothing. No reaction. I mean, the boys couldn't even hardly hear a a single firecracker because the music and the game were so loud. Undaunted, he he crept a little closer this time with a whole string of firecrackers, lobbed them over the fence. Bang, 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 bang. The music stopped. The lights went out. The boys all yelled, what was that? And and then they all ran into the house, returned a few minutes later, each with a flashlight. He says, we could hear them speculating on who the perpetrator was. They said, it must have been Jessica. That was their daughter. Oh, no, maybe it was Jonathan, the other next-door neighbor. Flashlights were bobbing as the boys headed to the fence to search the other side. Mike and his wife were hiding behind a tree a long ways from the search area when, without warning, a boy with a huge flashlight jumped up behind the fence and caught Mike and his wife by surprise. Mike says the look on his face was incredible. He, he, he stared for a few seconds trying to assimilate what he was seeing, and then he yelled to the others, Oh my, it's the parents! <laughs> uh, he said 10 minutes later, Mike's house was covered with toilet paper. He and his wife responded with water balloons. And Mike writes this, My relationship with the neighborhood boys has never been the same. When we bump into each other, we laugh and joke and find conversation easy. The ministerial stereotype has been broken, and now we're friends because of some childlike playfulness. Maybe the hint that Jesus calls us to play, and we turned it into work, is in his insistence that unless we become like little children, we can never enter the kingdom. Little children who know how to play. What if our approach to discipleship lost some of its burdensomeness and, and became more playful? It's, it's hard to step away from our adult seriousness about working. We've all read Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, and forgotten to read verse 13. Verse 12 says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If we just read verse 12, we don't realize whose work it really is. It looks and feels and sounds like our work. But when we include verse 13, it becomes clear, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. When we combine that with verse 6, we may be freed up to play, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Our walk, our life, our salvation, our discipling others is God's work in us. 
we become like little children helping our dad wash the car. The help of us toddlers isn't really much help at all. But the Father loves to have us in the way. I want to ask you, what is it about your own lifelong friendship with God that would attract anyone else to want to be a follower of Jesus? I mean, seriously, is there, is there any qualitative difference in your life and the lives of your secular friends as we move through this pandemic? What about your being a, a follower of Jesus and a friend of God is, quotes better than the non-follower, non-friend? Here's a concern for me and, and a concern I have for you. Do, do we make being a disciple and making disciples too arduous and demanding and laborious? I, I think too many Christians too often have made it something it wasn't meant to be. Because our enemy, the devil, knows how to keep us exhausted. Baxter Kruger imagines a memo in Screwtape Letters fashion. You know, Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis, where he has the devil giving counsel to his imps about how to deceive. He says this one's sent out by Diabolos again to all of his devilish underlings, which says this, Whatever you do, make sure it works to blind human beings to their true identity. Let them pursue their notions of spirituality and talk about God, even about Jesus Christ, if they must. Just don't let them see that Jesus Christ has laid hold of them and taken them to his Father. Don't let them see that he has drawn them with his, in the circle and given them a place in the great dance. Keep them in the dark about their identity. When you confuse them about their true identity in Christ, they lose sight of their purpose. They lose sight of the meaning and dignity of their lives. Then you've got them. All you have to do then is to make the suggestion that what they seek here in this person, in this new job, in this promotion, this car, this money, this sexual adventure, like a marten to a gourd, they will run straight into idolatry. Listen, a disciple realizes their identity is not in their performance. Their identity is, is not in stopping the play and the play and, and getting serious about work. It, it's not in their success as a diligent super disciple, nor is it in the number of disciples they make. Our identity is found in who is leading our game of follow the leader. Where we go, what we do, the fun we have is dependent on who is at the head of the line in our game of follow the leader. In traditional disciple-making strategies, we, we wanted to get close to a person so we could practice the nominational indoctrination. The, the primary task of the one making disciples was to elevate the post-baptism work in Jesus' command to a pre-baptism qualifier of shared information and sign-offs on agreement with that information. Listen, in our time, all the information you could ever want is accessible in the palm of your hand on your smartphone. We, we live in an age that is marked by the pressure of performance. Our culture worships busyness and activity, and to step back and waste time and play seems frivolous and shallow, distracting and unproductive. But for the follower of Jesus, the pressure of performance has been relieved. The pressure of your performance has been relieved. Sure, we, we want to live God-pleasing, God-honoring lives, but it's, it isn't to earn an A grade from God. 
the whole class, all of humanity, has been granted an A based on another's performance. Jesus has reckoned all, reconciled all things to God. It's everything. I love Paul's words to Titus. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled by others and became slaves to many wicked desires and evil pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy. We hated others and they hated us. But then God, our Savior, showed us his kindness and love. He saved us, not not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins and he gave us a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did. He declared us not guilty because of his great kindness. And now we know that we will inherit eternal life. When you and I live our lives with that assurance, we can play people into the kingdom of God. I don't know how you're being a disciple or you're contemplating being a disciple of Jesus feels. And so I want you to hear how Jesus describes how it should be. He said, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Wow, there it is. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. God is the author of your salvation. He delivers us. He makes us his. Our identity is not in our performance, And in response, our song is one of hallelujah, pure gratitude for all he has done. Hi, this is Randy McGray, podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church. And our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians all focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.